Hour two of the extravaganza. That's a show. Uh, Cofield and Company, as you heard, Willie is at our Friday hotspot. That is a Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. Adam Hill actually made his way on uh, No Sleep to H-Town. We're getting ready for the Final Four on Saturday, title game on Monday. And you can hear uh, all of the broadcast on ESPN Las Vegas and Westwood One providing the call. And P.J. Carlissimo uh, coming up here in just a couple minutes. He's going to be on the game. You know, so a big angle today. We did a lot of San Diego State yesterday, and there's more San Diego State uh, chatter today. Obviously, it's a more local school in the Mountain West Conference. But a lot of the stories today, Willie, are about Dan Hurley and the story and kind of the little bro thing. His dad's a legendary high school coach. Bobby is, you know, was much more famous and a Ballyhood player. Mm-hmm. And now Dan has emerged from the shadows to make a run here at a national championship. And I brought up the story back in 92 and 93. Uh, he walked away from playing basketball for about nine months when he was at Seton Hall. And a lot of it was due to mental health issues. And I, I you know, I don't even remember at the time what the reaction was, but Things have changed now, but it's uh, there. There's a lot there. He uh, he had alcohol issues. Um, you know, you heard from Bob Hurley, who Bobby Hurley, who was on earlier, and, and I, I actually kind of thought it was sad when Bobby was like, "Yeah, a lot of it was my fault." And it's like, well, I mean, is it your fault? It was a whole little, you know. In the end, it was a whole little brother syndrome, and a lot of a lot of families deal with that, right, Willie? They do. I don't have any siblings, but still, there's when you, you know, when you sort of are in a family where you're you're. The standards are set high, and you have to live up to them. You know, it doesn't start with uh, it doesn't start with Big Brother. It starts with Bobby Hurley Senior. I mean, you know, you're the you're the sons of le- of a legendary high school basketball coach, and then your brother does big things. I mean, it starts at the top, just like with coaching. You know, they say it starts at the top. So, you know, and the drinking issues, the partying issues, that could be lent toward the mental health part of it the cerebral health and then trying to battle it using your mental health and not being able to so what do you do you turn to you know you turn to chemicals you turn to drinking whatever it may be and he was sort of looking for coping mechanisms and it 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 did it did a number on his mental health but not only that but it it drove him from the game that he grew up knowing and that his dad you know was a legend legendary coach and, and it turned out that he hated basketball Literally said it. he wanted nothing to do with it and uh, took the leave from it, and uh, no one could get through to him. Nobody could, you know, get even get in his head, and he he was in his own head, and um, it, it 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 can be tough. I mean, I, I never played sport. I never got to play sports, but you know, in, in different aspects of everybody's life, they go through something at some point in time, and, and no matter the level of it, you always are going to be coping. If you're if you if you're having to cope with something. You're using your mental health to cope with it. So, I, you know, things were tough on him, and he's obviously emerged from it. It's a, it's a, it's a fantastic sort of survival story. He's a survivor of, of, you know, battling mental health issues, and who knows what else is deep inside those thoughts that he didn't reveal. Um, you know, there, there could be suicidal thoughts at some point. You know, when, when, you, when you can't use your mental health to overcome certain things and you turn to chemicals or alcohol, there, there are going to be thoughts of where, okay, if I just end it, I don't have to deal with this. And it, it could be a possibility. So kudos to him because he's two wins away from a na- being a national championship coach. Yeah, Dan Hurley's coach at the time when he was in college at Seton Hall was P.J. Carlissimo. He's turned into a great broadcaster after his career around the NBA. He's going to be on the Westwood call, Westwood One call this weekend. And we started off on basketball. We got to the, uh, the topic of uh, Dan overcoming some obstacles during his playing career and you know started out in a simple way just talking about UConn and just how good they look man they're tough 
it's scary how well Connecticut is playing. I mean, all four of these teams, obviously, you could say the same thing, but uh, you don't get to a Final Four unless you're playing probably the best you've played all year. But UConn is, since the first half of the Iona game, they have just been bludgeoning teams. I mean, they're so good. They're big. They're deep. They wear teams down physically. They're underrated defensively. People don't appreciate how good their defense is. I mean, if you look at their field goal percentage numbers, their three-point defensive numbers, the fact that they get every defensive rebound, I mean, it's scary. Uh, and then on top of that, you got arguably the best perimeter jump shooter, Jordan Hawkins. Is, he was unreal. He's is, is phenomenal. Unreal against Gonzaga. Yeah, but especially in the second half. I mean, yep. it's unreal. he misses a couple shots in the first half, and I was kidding Ryan because I had been with him in uh, – he didn't score a point in either first half against Iona or against St. Mary's. I'm going to say I'm pretty sure that was their second game. And in the second half, I don't think he missed a shot. And I said to Ryan when he missed one in the first, I said, just relax. Wait, wait till the second half. And sure enough, he came out firing. He's, uh, he's really a, a talented young player. And, again, the people in the Northeast are used to seeing him. I think the country's getting used to seeing him now and realize how special he is. Well, speaking of being used to seeing teams, I don't think a lot of people around the country are used to seeing Gonzaga. They're not used to seeing UCLA. That was a really high-level game and high-level oh. offensively to see what UConn does two days later and essentially breaks Gonzaga. Uh, they lost their confidence. And I explain to me, what do you see with Drew Timmy? Because I, I was hoping he was going to attack Sonogo, and he, he just was not that aggressive. Then the foul trouble got him. They had trouble getting him the ball early. A couple times they got him the ball. I think they drew a charge. I know his third foul was a charge. Yeah. But they, they had him being, by his standards, a little bit tentative. I still, uh, you know, it's easy to second-guess officials, and, and I try to not do that. But I was really disappointed. The, the third foul was a block charge. It re- literally could have gone either way. But Drew made a mistake. He shouldn't have gone in there. He came down, and he dribbled the ball up himself. And he went in where he shouldn't have gone because you, you put the whistle in the ref's mouth. It can go either way. So I had less problem with that third foul. Fourth foul really annoyed me. I mean, you, you, you need to know... If, if you got a first-team All-American, you got an Elite Eight game, and he just committed his third foul, and it was, you know, borderline, you, you can't take him out of the game 90 feet away from, from the rim. I mean, I, so I was disappointed. I don't think Gonzaga was going to win, no, I don't think but so. it would have been a heck of a game. It wouldn't have been the outcome that it was, and I think Drew would have figured things out. I think Drew Timmy would have done some damage, and uh, the, again, the luxury that uh, they have it's not just Sonogo. They got Donovan Klingon. They got a freshman, yeah. one of the best freshmen in the country behind him. So um, I, I, the way Connecticut played those two games against Arkansas and against Gonzaga, didn't matter who they were playing. Uh, they were that good. But I would have liked to have seen Drew play. And that's a tough way for him, if yeah. it is, to finish his college career. Can't have a much better year than Drew Timmy had. And basically to have his hands tied was, was difficult. The voice of P.J. Carlissimo, former NBA coach, former Seton Hall coach. So you coached. Danny Hurley. Um, and, you know, I had forgotten about some of his struggles during his career at Seton Hall. And, you know, today, if a player needs to take a leave, it's still not totally accepted, but it's a lot more acceptable. No, it's I, I, want, I, want, I want you to tell people what was going on back in, I think it was 1993, where it, it, it just all got to him, and then he had some problems off the court. It was, well, hey, just, it, it, it was a little too much. for a, uh, a, The good news, bad news is when you're in a program, and we were fortunate our, our last six or seven years at Seton Hall, we, we were a national program. I mean, we got to the tournament pretty much every year. We had some deep runs. We got to a championship game. So it was, there was high pressure. 
Uh, and, and I always use the word kids. People used to say to me, what do you call them kids for? I said, because they are kids. That's what people don't understand. I, you know, I used to say to them all the time, do you have, don't you have an 18 or 19-year-old son Doesn't he still, or daughter? Doesn't, don't they still do stupid stuff sometimes? Yeah, well, that's what these guys are. But you see them on TV, and it's like, oh, well, they're different. They're, they're not supposed to miss free throws. They're not supposed to, you know. It, it, Danny was going through a tough time playing, in retrospect, playing for us, us being Seton Hall in the state of New Jersey, where his father was arguably the best high school coach and he's a Hall of Fame high school coach. I mean, if he, he's not the best, he's one, two, or three in the history of, of high school basketball. But, I mean, he, he's playing in New Jersey where his father is the, the king of high school basketball in New Jersey. His brother's playing for Duke. He wins national championships. He's the younger brother. Now, again, Danny played on national championship teams when he was in high school, too. And Danny was a heck. You know, everybody talks about him like he had a, a lackluster college career. Four years at Seton Hall, three NCAAs and an NIT, he scored 1,000 points. There's a lot of people that would try. I think I scored five points in my college <laughs> career. So Danny had a great career, but it, it was too much for him to deal with at that point. He needed to get away. That's exactly what he did. You know, in the beginning, we were like, he has the flu or something. And then he said, hey, no, I, I need to step away, which he did. And then he came back, and I didn't get a chance to coach him. After that, I took the, the trailblazer job. George Blaney did a really good job Danny's last two years. So um, you, you're right. Today, it would be much more – you would just say, hey, it, 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 he's having trouble dealing with this. It's too much. And it was – in fairness, and it wasn't our fans, obviously, but, it, it, you know, in, in Jersey, playing in the Meadowlands, playing in Madison Square Garden, it, it was – local fans and he took too much you know grief every time we'd go on the road in the Big East you're not Bobby yep. and you know so we went through all that you, you shouldn't have to deal with that but but you know you take the good with the bad it was a tough time but talk about overcoming it oh, yeah. and talk about having right now I think a unique perspective in dealing with today's players Danny is so good relating to his players and you talk about somebody that understands what it's like to play in in a final four to play in a high pressure uh, place like UConn, Danny's the ideal person uh, to coach those young guys. What do you see in him as a coach? Does he have some of you? Does he have some of his no, dad? No, he's got he, a ton he's, of his father, yeah. I think. But he's got he's got a ton of Dan, which is really interesting uh, he, because he paid his dues. Uh, he got he got when he got into coaching, he was an assistant at Rutgers, I think, for four years. And by then, I had moved on to the MBA, and I was most of my MBA jobs were West Coast jobs. So I talked to people, and somebody would say, you know, Danny's doing a really good job, or talk to somebody else in their league. I forgot what league Rutgers was in at that time. I mean, you can't, I can't keep track anymore of who's where. But um, people said, he's not a good coach. He's an excellent coach. He's really, really going to be good. Those were the reviews right from Jump Street. He went to St. Benedict's Prep, which is a great high school program in Newark. He knocked it out of the block there. Coincidentally, or really ironically, he ends up at Wagner College, where I coached for six years. He did a good job at Wagner then URI, and then Connecticut. And all three of those, when he got there, were not in great shape. Uh, he took over programs that uh, two of them, you know, St. Benedict's was a marquee national program. And he had Tristan Thompson. He had uh, J.R. Smith. I mean, he had big-time players there. But they had, you know, fallen on some tough times. And Danny got it going again, as he did at Wagner, as he did at URI, and, and as he's doing at UConn. He's got UConn back where everybody expects him to be. And that, as good a job as that is, it's a tough job. And he's ideal. He, he's got a ton of his father. He's got a lot of Danny because exactly what you just talked about. He relates so well with the players. The players love him. He, they let him be on him. I mean, you see him getting pushing those guys. They know that he's got their best interests at heart, and he's trying to make them as good as they can be. So uh, the way he relates with his players, to me, X and O's, he's unbelievable. We see their defense. It, it, it's really impressive. 
but it's the way he relates to and handles uh, these young guys that I think separates Danny from everybody else. P.J. Carlos will be doing a great job for Westwood One. And make sure you listen to the coverage uh, this weekend on Saturday. We'll have the games on ESPN Las Vegas and the Monday title game as well. We appreciate your time. Thank you. Appreciate being with you. Yeah, he's really good on the broadcast. P.J. Carlissimo sitting down with us and came out with us last week. Uh, loves to loves to talk basketball. Loves to talk basketball. Adam Hill with me here in uh, Houston uh, talking to P.J. earlier in the day. Willie is over at Golden Circle Sportsbook and Bar. We just got another transfer portal note in, Willie. We were talking about Hunter Dickinson, the big from Michigan, is in the portal. I know you made the suggestion that, hey, maybe Gonzaga would want him. Uh, Mark Few is a, uh, a fan of big bigs, and Hunter Dickinson is a big big. I could see it. I could see him going after it. it. It would be a spot that, you know, he would immediately obviously come in and make an impact and be a star. So, um, and Lord knows they get the NIL money up there in the Pacific Northwest and who knows what else. But uh, it, 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 it wouldn't surprise me to see, you know, a, a, a move like that. Another name in the portal, uh, very much connected to UNLV in the past, was playing for Ots at Iowa State, Caleb Grill is in the transfer portal. What do you think? Kevin Kruger on the phone with him. Let's go. Let's have a second go around. We know you didn't like Vegas the first time. Let's let's have you back here. Let's rehab the image of Vegas. What do you think, Caleb? <laughs> I mean, is that the pitch? Is that what Iowa State did also? Uh, probably yeah, didn't like it the first time. Come back yeah. here before something happened, and yeah. out of nowhere in the stretch run, they're like, "You got to go." And I think Otz is a pretty patient guy, and he, it was one of his guys. Yeah, and he said, "Yeah, got to go." I wouldn't touch the kid. Uh, on the way back, let's talk about, believe it or not, the music scene, the food scene. Bun B is up with this legendary Houston rapper. Yeah, coverage here in H-Town at the Final Four is brought to you by Monster.com. Monster.com can help you slam dunk the job search and make your next career move. It's time to get off the bench. Go to Monster.com and win the job hunt. Uh, I love these radio rows because we get to talk to you know unique people outside of the world of sports. My, I think my favorite interview at uh, Super Bowl was Andrew Zimmern. You know, mega food star. That was awesome. So we sat down with Bun B. I did. I'm not a hip-hop guy. You are. Ari is. Uh, but had a really good conversation about the Houston scene. And uh, he actually he, he wanted to talk about Vegas. So we came right out. And he's like, yeah, I, I, was, I was just there. Yeah, no, I just left this weekend. I visited my good friend JC. Opening up uh, his new uh, Urban Necessities location over at the Shops at Crystals. And just dodging all the Taylor Swift traffic and the fight traffic. I mean, look, I love the city of Las Vegas, but when it's an event weekend, bro, like, no, I'm not crazy about sitting in an Uber for 40 minutes just to get from the hotel, from the airport to the hotel, and then to try to get somewhere else. It's a lot, but I mean... What what are you going to do about the number one tourist attraction in America, basically? And we have more things now than ever. Um, you know, it's funny. We have uh, an XFL team, right, that's starting off in Vegas. Yes. And I feel bad for them because every weekend they have Saturday games in town. Not every weekend, home and road. But when they're at home, like, they're going up against just massive events. They, they played, this, played this last weekend. They're going against the freaking Sweet 16. It's a rough Taylor draw. Swift. It's a rough draw, man. You know, but I mean, you guys have big sports fans, you know, in the city now. You know, guys are home to the Raiders. That's got to stand for something, of oh, course. Yeah. So, yeah, but no, I'd imagine that's a tough sell. You know, that's a tough sell. We've got an XFL team here, the Roughnecks, you know. I mean, I mean look, we, we're in Texas, so football is it's easy for attendance, right? Yeah. It's easy to get people in there. But, I mean, if we had a game this weekend, I don't know who would be trying to show up. This right. is a basketball weekend, bro. Yep. Well, these two towns, uh, Houston and, and Vegas, are it's incredible now in terms of hosting. And yes. I've been here five or six times for different events, and it's one of my favorite places because everything is downtown. They built up the infrastructure. 
I, I have people at home complain. They're like, oh, Houston has no culture. I'm like, well, one, the food culture, for, first of all, is awesome. Amazing. We have several James Beard nominees, um, James Beard Award winning chefs like Chris Shepard here. Um, I mean, this is an amazing food city. And, you know, we had a mayor uh, about four terms ago, uh, Mayor Anise Parker, and her whole initiative was to showcase the city of Houston's culture. So even this Discovery Green Park that we have across the street where the big block party and stuff's happening, yep. this is all part of local initiatives to open up the city and have spaces available for culture and art, you know, because the food's already here, right? Like, that's there. But I'll take the Vietnamese here with anywhere in the country. We on, have good man. Vietnamese. We have good Asia town in Vegas, but Vietnamese here? <laughs> no, it's crazy. I mean, but you have such an influx, right, yep. of Vietnamese people here in this area. Thai food here is actually really good good as well. But there's also a lot of points of fusion, right? Because there's over 100 different languages being spoken in Houston. So it's an extremely diverse city. And so there's a lot of culture clashes that happen, but the best ones are always food, yep. I always say. So now there's a new, so here a big deal is crawfish, which is a Cajun delicacy, but because there's a large influx of Vietnamese people yep. here, Vietnamese people eat crawfish as well. So um, Cajun is more powder based seasoning based and uh, Vietnamese is more oil based but now there's a new place that just opened in town that does Malaysian curry crawfish oh wow so the wife is like <laughs> the wife is like whenever you're done with your stuff this week can we go try the curry crawfish I'm like I want to try curry anything bro let's do it so Bun B with us here at the uh, set ESPN Las Vegas at the final four it's also a good music scene it's a good hip-hop and yes. rap scene if I'm correct I'm not a hip-hop expert, but uh, my girlfriend is in the house. But uh, Ghetto Boys are from Houston? Yes, sir. And yes, people sir. would know their you know, their biggest song. Yes, yes, my playing trick song. Yeah, 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 it was from a hit movie with uh, Office Space. Office Space, what, of course. What, what's the scene like now? And, you know, talk about the history of hip-hop in, in Houston. Well, Houston hip-hop has been going for about almost 40 years now. Um, some of the earliest music here was, was brought by Rap-A-Lot Records, who eventually signed the Ghetto Boys and released them. Um, but, I mean, it's been thriving for many years. So many big artists represent Houston nowadays or some of the biggest artists in the world. People like Megan Thee Stallion, who's performing tomorrow night at the AT&T Block Party. People like Travis Scott, worldwide sensation. Um, and his new artist, Don Tolliver, who's a local boy from the southwest side of town. He's got one of the biggest albums out right now. He actually did the halftime show for the McDonald's All-Star Game the other night. So not only do we have great talent here, the Final Four has been so accepting of local talent, local food, local everything for that matter. So a lot of the guys here have been given that carte blanche treatment. So guys are getting floor seats at the All-American All game and getting up to perform. I'm actually performing at halftime at the championship game on Monday. So, oh, awesome. So, I mean, just great opportunities um, for us. But it's they're not, they're not just given they've been earned like these guys worked really hard to um, create their their popularity and create their following in music and it's so good to see them embraced by an organization like the final four and ncaa so you're playing coming up what else do you have uh, in terms of promotion and anything you want to pop yeah so i recently um last year we were on good morning america we competed for best burger in america and we won the competition um and so we'll be serving my company trill burgers um we'll be served in the nrg stadium during the final four nice. so if you go to the semifinals or the championship game we're going to be located right on that 100 concourse right on that lower prong and um won't be hard to find we'll be in that end zone at 135 at the hcx kitchen and um i'm happy to serve 
Houstonians and people from all over the world that are coming in. I even have a good friend, uh, good friend Eric is flying in from Stockholm because he wants oh, wow. to see the Final Four, which I thought was amazing to see how sports and, and culture translates so far away. I wouldn't think Stockholm to be a, a basketball city, but here we are. When you pitch your burgers to people, what's different? My burger is different because most burgers, typically when people want a hamburger, they want the condiment that they like with hamburgers. Most patties are trash, so even when you order a burger before you try it, you, you, you're like, hey, can I get some mustard? Can I get some mayo? Because most people are typically addicted to the condiments. They're not addicted to the burger. We put very little condiments on our burger. We have our patented trill sauce on the burger, but it's the flavor that's in the patty. And the patty, because it's a smash burger, the patty comes all the way outside of the bun. So whereas most brands will put additional um, condiments and different things on the burger to take away from the fact that patty is trash, we say less is more. We want to make sure that no matter where you bite into this burger, the main taste that you get is the is the patty because the patty is the star of the show. Appreciate you coming out, man. Uh, no, man. Is there is there any sort of main website that people can go to to, to look up the burgers and everything else? Yeah, you're doing? I, yeah on all social media uh, platforms, it's Trill Burgers, T R I L L Burgers with an S. Look us up, follow us. We're killing it on TikTok right now. When you see this burger, I feel for you because when you see it, you're gonna want one. But you're if you're going to the games, man, stop by. First burgers on me. I'm not going to the game, so that's sad. That was Bun B, sat down with him, legendary rapper from Houston. I mean, if anyone's going to sit down with a hip-hop artist on ESPN Las Vegas, it's me. It does look pretty good. Oh, the, the Smash Burger? Well, I want to talk about the burger Trill for a second. Yeah, I want to, well, Trill the Smashed Burger. burger. You're right, there is a brand. Smash Burger. Um, I did get in a couple. I did mention the Ghetto Boys. Sure. You know, It's not for me, actually. The SO loves Ghetto Boys. Well, you refer to, <laughs> refer to them as... Oh, those guys from the movie. Well, I think that's a lot of that was a kind of a <laughs> sure, crossover, sure. right? It wasn't their song playing when they were smashing the freaking whatever it was the coffee yeah, machine? Sure. Yeah, it's dynamite. It's very, it's very good. Yes. I know Ari was very jealous. Willie, you found a good, you know, a good reference for old heads who want to find out more about Bun B? Yeah, I know Adam's familiar with this series on Netflix, Hip Hop Evolu- uh, the Evolution of Hip Hop, Hip Hop Evolution. It was, I believe, they've done four seasons. Um, I'm really hoping at some point they'll pick it back up. I know they've never hit Vegas, and I've tweeted to the director, but uh, I want to say it was season two, episode one. They, it's uh, the Southern Way, and they feature Houston. You know, the first season it just gets you into the whole birth of hip-hop if you will and then the seasons thereafter they take you to the different cities and and where you know the evolution of hip-hop in each city so um houston obviously as he said you know going on 40 years so uh check that out that's on netflix still and, and it's a if you're into hip-hop it's a damn good series and it can teach you a lot especially for the younger generation as i always say who are ready to put the goat tag on all the current rappers at least learn the history of a lot of where each city um, got its start and where hip-hop got its start. What do you think of the burger discussion and the bold statement that uh, most people just really like the condiments? Um, Ari made a statement in our chat that he doesn't like the condiments, but you also don't like the meat. So I, I'm I'm just gonna, sure I saw that and I was like, like wait You don't like anything. What do you, you I know. think I would like a trill burger. Mm. Speaking my language. I actually... You need I, a trill out. I, uh, that was a good one. I agree with Bun B. Yes. On, we've gotten crazy with the condiments and the toppings on burgers. Uh, there were, the last couple times I've gone out for a burger, uh, I got some crazy stacked burger, and I'm like, I can't taste the meat. This is out of control. Right. Like it's almost borderline gross. It's too much on there. I look at it as a, I look at a burger as just a uh, conveyance for toppings. 
I know you do. Yeah. And I think that's what that's the deal with the hot dogs. A lot of people just, you know, and I, and I do like mustard and sauerkraut. Nobody likes hot dogs. I love hot dogs. They like the things that go on. I love the taste of hot dogs. And I like burgers, but we got to simplify it. We've you gotten out of control. Have, you, you also have trash taste buds. You like Cincinnati well, chili. Can I tell you, Willie? Uh, so last week was my birthday. The SO was like, hey, uh, I didn't get to treat you to a birthday dinner. And I just gave her, I gave her a list of like eight chain restaurants. I'm like, I just want to go to a chain. How about that? And now, honestly, did you end up at? Yeah, I'm not going to say. Honestly, the reason I did it Why is because I, I because I we had gone to dinner at different places, and I'm like, I'm tired of going out and for two, it costing 150 and 200 dollars for much no no food and a couple of drinks, and I'm like, I'm going to one of these places to have like a, a whatever a two for 25 or a one for 13. I'm like, I love that. Well, I just found Trail Burgers on. Uh, TikTok and I'm all in because I'm I, I agree I, I like the burgers that overflow the bun I'm not yep. big on now toppings are one thing condiments are another it's two different things yeah one hundred percent I'm a big, I'm a big condiment things. guy but I don't but I don't need a stack of other meats and and over the top sauces all over the place I don't need a lot of sauces I don't mind toppings like I don't mean like lettuce tomato I'm not really I I like onions Basics. but I'm not big onion guy on burger uh, I I like jalapenos but see I like them cooked into the burger. What about the so, peanut butter and jelly burger? Easy. I've never tried it. Is it good? I don't know. We got Yeah. We, is it? It's good. Um, Willie sounds like he's out. <laughs> I didn't say I'm out. I'm just. Uh, You're a little hesitant. I, I can imagine peanut butter. I don't know about jelly. Cause see, peanut butter. <laughs> Get out. Kevin Kruger was on with us yesterday. You can hear the conversation up at Steve Cofield on Twitter, up at ESPN Las Vegas. Good 25 minute discussion and. You know, he said that because there's some, you know, UNLV fans are like, it's very quiet. Why aren't the Rebels on a bunch of lists for transfers? Because they're not. Because unless the kid puts it out, then you're not going to see it. And if you remember last year, a lot of the guys they landed, you didn't know until the very last minute. Different schools, you know, some schools want that stuff out there. Yeah. Uh, this, this, this group uh, does not. I don't remember Ott's being, you know, in that realm. Menzies really wasn't. Rice was. You know, like to hype things up and have, you know have the names out there, but every coaching staff is a little bit different. Yeah. So I know you haven't been here for very long because you just got off the plane like five hours ago, Adam Hill, as we're in Houston. Uh, but you constantly tweak at this town about it being boring. I- I'm telling you, what they've done down here is freaking awesome, and what they've got going on. First of all, tonight. It's the first of three concerts, like, right next to where we are in the convention center. And Megan the Stallion is playing. And, God, I wish I was here, although it was, it's, it's sold out. So the crowd's going to be crazy. It already was. I was just over her, there. Her appearance throwing out the pitch last night yeah. was just magical. It was cheeky. She just stood on the mound. She had some she's – a, she's a tall lady. Um I'm not going to use the word that Bob Ritchie used earlier to describe basketball players, but, you know, she's, um, she's got some size, right? You not mentioned. Not, not fat, not fat, but she just stood on the mound with these, these tight white pants on with her back to the catcher, and it was like 30 seconds just like. But that's not, that's, I, don't think that that, I don't think that's, no. I, I, what do you think she was doing? Was she honoring someone you, in center field? Well, if you, there's, a, there's a snippet of the video, and they okay. were walking the flag out, and I'm wondering if, because she started oh, looking really? at it, and I'm wondering if she was sort of just paying respect to them, undo, you know, because it takes oh, however cool. many people 
walking the flag out, you know, when they the big flag that yeah, covers the so, field. Yeah, you're supposed to stand until yeah. they, uh, when they so, come on and they walk off. That's yes. good. So she did. So I oh. saw that in the background. I think that's Where what there she was, was a, doing. It turned out there was a dual purpose. Yes. I mean, she was. And then, eh, you know, decent pitch. Came up a little bit short. It was not who, a decent. Who, that that who, who was cares? the worst part of the whole thing. But who cares? We grade everyone differently. If it's Bob Costas, you better throw a strike. Megan the Stallion, you bounce it four times and it's the right of the catcher. Who cares? I thought it was an overall. It was an, it was a incredible display. Yeah, Megan the control issues. <laughs> uh, Adam, if you were going to let's say there's another hot spot in town tonight, right? That you can go to. Will you take the bus? Uh, I wouldn't. I wouldn't have a problem with it. The bus system is very good here. Uh, I take it every time I'm down here. You do. I do. Adam. Adam is really one of the only media guys I know when he hits town that he's going to try to use. Local mass transit. Oh yeah, you love Atlanta. Yeah. Atlanta has a great uh, transit system. Well, so does DC. I love DC. It's great. Uh, but in terms of here, well, in terms of going to the stadium, it's really the only thing you can do. There's not much parking at all. I mean, there is, but it's from in terms of media wise. Baseball, football. Uh, football. I'm, I'm talking about for, for the games, energy so, uh, where right. the Texans and play it's not, and, and the, that's not downtown. No, and so the the train is free this weekend. Uh, from nice. today until Monday, so yeah, yeah, I just jumped on the train, went to, went over to the stadium earlier today, checked it out a little bit, picked up a credential, and then hung around for a little while. So uh, it was easy. Then jumped so, on the train, came right back downtown. So wait a minute, Adam. Um, given that um, you are the aficionado of a specific area of entertainment here in Las Vegas, especially among the gentlemen on the show, you know the Houston for the longest time, and I don't know mm-hmm. if it still is, but it has like the number one ranked establishment in the United States, or at least it used to. Will you be visiting that place? Uh, no, I don't think so. First oh. of all, the, the problem with Houston is way too spread out. One of the problems uh, with it. Ah, uh, yes. Thanks I, to Finley Subaru of Las Vegas on Rainbow and the 215 and online at SubaruLasVegas.com. Having us here in H-Town. Every day this hour is brought to you by our friends at Battleborn Injury Lawyers. 766-1400 is the number to call from anywhere in the state of Nevada. Offices in uh, Henderson, Las Vegas. And in Reno, you got problems, 766-1400. Talk to Justin and Matt. Good conversations all day long the last couple of days, especially with the darlings of the tournament. Princeton was one of those darlings. Uh, 15 beats a two in Arizona. Mitch Henderson, the coach at Princeton, sat down with us. He's got a history. I mean, he's a guy who, when he was playing, they took out UCLA back in 96 and said to him, hey, I mean, that's, that was impressive, man. What an upset over a second seed. I was just walking over here to see you guys, and I ran into a bunch of coaches. And you know, the improbability of things sometimes kind of hits you. We, we were down eight with um, in ten with eight minutes left. I used all my timeouts, um, and and I knew we had to keep it close. It's such a good transition offense team. And then the last five minutes, from there on, we just the team just took over and became like such a gutsy group, just like that, and special. Like I don't think they scored in the last four minutes of the game. Um, we outscored them in the paint. We out-rebounded them. We out-rebounded Missouri the next round. Like, mm-hmm. the guys just took over, and, you know, that's what we've been aiming to do. And, you know, there's nothing like advancing in the tournament, just nothing. And uh, when we got to Louisville, our fans, <laughs> like, we don't run that big of a school, but it was, uh, it was just awesome. What's it like, you know, as a former player, taking over the, the legacy that's been laid for you? Uh, it's a special job mm-hmm. at Princeton. Yeah, so, you know, I got recruited by Pete Carrill. I played for him for two years and then played for Bill Carmody. I got my start in coaching with Bill Carmody at Northwestern. So, you know, it's always weighed on me in a way. Like, that. Right? that's the word, weight. You know, you feel it. 
because you want to do, you know, the alums from the 60s playing for Van Bredikoff, Bill Bradley and Chris Tomford and Jeff Petrie, Brian Taylor. These were first round picks. These guys all care a lot about Princeton basketball and I hear from them all the time, all the time. <laughs> and um, so to do something with this group feels like a big page turning moment for the program and, and for us. And I'm very proud of it, but I'm, you know, it's been a long time coming. You know how this goes. Like it takes forever yeah, to get to this moment. And you do it and you do it and you're like, am I doing it right? Am I doing it right? And then it comes to fruition and you're like, you know, it's people, you know, it's, it's really what it, it's a group of guys that came together and we played physical. Um, so I'm really proud of it. Now we're not the same as Pete's teams, you know I mean? We're not, we're, you know, we, we always were close, but we did not rebound teams. You know, we were, the system was what we had and we've, we've changed it up a bit. And I think that's helped us. Well, you know, I was going to say, you mentioned Northwestern while I was at Minnesota when you were yeah. Northwestern. And I still have nightmares about you guys because that one three one just killed us. Absolutely, because we were teaching our team this year how to play the one three one. So I pulled a video from when we played you oh guys. And do you use the one three one? I did. You know, I got it. Got us back in the game against Creighton. We were going down, and we played at the end of the game. Not a lot, but you know, I mean, I credit Bill for that. Like he's, you know, we played it all the time. Oh, you guys did. You yeah. didn't stop, and it yeah. was hard to beat. It was just hard yeah. to beat. It took our athleticism away. Yeah. It did so many great things. You no, know, it's uh, you can't. There's no ball screens. I remember we played um, Ohio State when they had Odin and Conley. Yeah, yeah, and, I remember. Uh, we gave up a lot of rebounds, but Conley couldn't get off ball screens, you know. So you, it, it, it I think it was a good thing for us then, and, and nice to have it in your back pocket. No question. Joe Spazito's here, working with UMKC, the KC Ruse, and uh, one of the star coaches of the tournament, Mitch Henderson, Princeton, played three games in the tournament. What's better for you, uh, your playing experience, where you knocked off the defending national champion in UCLA? You know, some, what is it now? Do the math, right? 18, 27 eight, years eight, ago. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. I was, I was, I see, I screwed up. I went to Rutgers, he went to Princeton. He's got the <laughs> no, <masculine>. no. <laughs> I was I got, I've gotten to live yeah. this one a lot, yeah. for a long time. So, I mean, what's more special, doing it as a player or as a coach? Way more special as a coach. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's not comparable. And you know, I had the good fortune of my teammates and I of living that moment, and it was special. Um, but if you told me then that I would then take a team from Princeton to the Sweet 16, I wouldn't have believed you. And, you know, it's, you know, coach, coach is a giant, Coach Carell. Like, you know, I mean, everybody, the staff when I was at Princeton was Bill Carmody, John Thompson, Joe Scott, all Division One head coaches. On that team was myself, Brian Earl, and Sidney Johnson, all Division One head coaches. There's a lot of us that have benefited from that game and that time. But, I mean, taking a team there, you know, Joe, you know, it's teams are a reflection of their coach. And no so you, you don't want to pat yourself on the back too hard, but you feel good. It, it feels special. It is a special feeling. You know, and one of the things about Princeton, it's just different because the portal, I was going to ask yeah. you about the portal and you can't have guys for more than four years. Mm -hmm. and explain that to us. And, and what, what are you guys, are you using the portal at all? Do you? No, no, it's, it's, um, we have a pretty, you know, standard admissions process. Um, you know, we could potentially get involved with the portal, but we're really a four-year institution. Now our guys, Ryan Langbord in Kansas and Northwestern are talking to him. And yeah. he's, he had, you know, 24 against uh, Missouri, 26 against Creighton, I think. You know, terrific tournament run. And, you know, I'm proud of those guys. But, you know, we're a four-year institution. That's what we talk to the families about. Like, you're going to get your degree. You're going to graduate from Princeton. And we build it from, I mean, maybe now old school, but we, we build it, like, you know, the way you, you, know, the way you build it, mm. the way you used to. Yeah, I, I hope people around the country kind of realize, and I hope everyone at Princeton realizes, first of all, we all call it the Princeton offense. <laughs> but the impact of that offense, like Joe coached in the Mountain West. I cover the Mountain West. And first of all, Joe Scott, you know, yeah. familiar face, right? He's back at Air Force, so they run 
a lot of that stuff. And as well, one of our broadcasters says, it's like taking the trip to the dentist. Yeah. You know, it's tough. It's tough. But uh, Utah State was running it. Yeah. Um, the UNLV women's team uh, had a really good year, and they run a ton of yeah. the backdoor stuff. So that, I mean, think about the impact of you know one coach and an offense spreading across college basketball, where you know three thousand miles away, people are running some of the same stuff. You'd be. You, you'll appreciate this. So, Coach, we, we didn't get a backdoor in the first two rounds. I mean, maybe one. We got a couple against Creighton. So, for us, we've we've it's a bit of a hybrid. But really, this is what Coach was most proud of is the influence that what he did was four guys around a skilled center that can shoot and the center being skilled. This is the modern game. He was so proud of the influence that he had on, on the modern game. He, he talked all the time. There was a Wall Street Journal article he was so proud of. When the three-point line came out in 87, Princeton took 50% of its shots from three, maybe around that, and made 50%. The, most college teams were shooting 10 or 11% of their shots from three, and the NBA was like 8% of their shots from three. He really was way ahead yeah. of his time. That's a great point, because I was talking about this with some of the and other I have day, those though. numbers wrong, don't you know? I'm, I know. Oh. <laughs> I <don't>, I, <laughs> the other day I was talking about uh, Big Ten basketball, and you coached in the Big Ten, and I, I kind of think the Big Ten needs to kind of morph more towards one big four smalls instead of the traditional four or five. And I was giving international basketball a lot of credit, right. but I, I didn't think of Pete Carrill, and that's what you guys were doing. You, the, the, how about the other element, the stretch five or stretch four? Well, this is, Coach would say, and, and literally, like, he said this to me the summer before he passed away. He said, you know, no one influenced the game more than Bill Russell. He said there were a lot of better players, maybe, but no one made more of an impact on the game than Russell. It wasn't, it's not just the scoring and the stretch, stretching out, it's passing. You know, Jokic is like Vladi Divac. These are like the prototype, the Coach's Curl's dream centers, right? Like a skilled big that's unselfish. That, And it's really hard to guard when you can play through somebody that's a little bit bigger and kind of, you know, like Draymond Green with the Warriors, right? Like you see the ball moving. We were we had a kid named Tosan who's declared for, you know, to be professional. One of the most skilled passers I've ever seen. And we, we won't have a passer like him for a long time at Princeton. It's the voice of Mitch Henderson. Let's wrap it up. Our spots brought to you by all our spots here in Vegas brought, or uh, in Houston brought to you by Paul Padalaw. It's not about the injury. It's about the recovery. Uh, Joe Esposito is here as well. So the Ivy's a, a really good conference, and you, here's how you can tell. The players coming out of it, a lot of these guys who can't play a fifth year, you know, all of a sudden they're a target of the ACC. You know, uh, yeah. one of your guys went to Michigan. Unfortunately, Llewellyn got hurt. Can the conference, well, let's just talk about what you do and maybe what Yale does and what Penn does. Can you guys get to a point where you can schedule so aggressively, right? But it's got a lot, a lot, of, a lot of road games. Yeah. Can you get to a point where all of a sudden the net isn't a big problem and you could be a conference that actually gets an at-large? You know, we tr we're trying. Right. You know, we, I saw, like, I have, a, I have a poster in my office from the 1972 season in Princeton's non-conferences, like UCLA, Kentucky, Villanova, Duke, you know. That this is what we've always tried to do. Now, it doesn't make a lot of sense to play us um, for certain teams, but I, we, we try very aggressively to schedule. There's no doubt in my mind multiple teams in our league can win games in the tournament. Um, Yale, Penn, Harvard, I mean, these are really well coached, really good players, top to bottom. You know, kids, the world's a bit smaller. You know, they understand the, the, that what they're going to get they're getting great basketball and academics at a place like Princeton. So you're getting great players. And I told you, you know, you mentioned Jalen. Ethan Wright went to Colorado. Drew Freiberg had a great year at Belmont. Max Johns went to Duke. I've got Ryan Langboard's going to go wherever he wants. You know, um, yeah, it's, it, it doesn't surprise me. 
Yeah. Well, you know, Coach, we'll play you for a hundred thousand pizza, hundred thousand pizza, golf clubs. Come on, and a, and a, he's, and a, he's, and a he's got the schedules. Here we go. I'm doing a schedule. So, yeah, we'll come play. Sign places. me up. Let's go. <laughs> there he is, Joe Esposito, trying to book games on Cofield and Company with uh, Princeton. Joe's at the uh, UMKC with the KC Roos. Marvin Menzies is there. He's the boss. He's the boss. And uh, Mitch Henderson at Princeton. Will there ever be a day, Adam? You you love the Ivy. Your brother played at Yale. Will there ever be a day where teams can actually schedule aggressively enough in the Ivy to get an at-large? Or as Henderson suggested, like, eh, people don't want to play us. Yeah, it's tough. It's been tough. It's been a, a running What's it like at Yale? Because you know James years. Jones well. Uh, yeah, it's tough. I mean, to get, to get games, they, they, they try. Like, you're uh, going on the road for all of them. Yeah, for sure. You, that's that's know, the issue. You'd have to agree to, what, a 10 for 1. It ain't coming. Yeah. Uh, very, very rarely do you get a power five or even like a high mid major coming into one of the Ivy gyms, and there's a reason why. I mean, they're good teams, and you know you don't want to have that. You know, look, and, and it's not like you're going into some you know arena with twenty thousand people or anything. It's it's small gyms. It's intimidating environments. It's tough to win, um, and there's not a whole lot of financial incentive to do it. So it kind of sucks. Willie, that could have been the se- uh, second most explosive interview that we did because uh, Adam sat down with Bobby Hurley Jr. and uh, I mean it was, it was close. Hurley almost got up and punched him. Um, the heat between Adams, Yale squad, and his backing of Yale and, and Mitch Henderson, the Princeton coach, could have been lightning. Could have been lightning. Could have. Uh, you got up and talked to him. Or when he got, when he got up, you talked to him. Yeah. How was that? He gave you the cold shoulder? I was trying to stare him down a little bit. You tried to stare him down? Yeah. Willie, do you believe that for a second? Uh, uh, when it comes to Yale and the Ivies and, and especially college hoops, I, I, I do. I do. I give Adam the benefit of the doubt. I think he probably got up and tried to get a little intimidating. But the problem is, is I don't think that the Princeton coach even knew why. Right. No, I explained it to him. Oh, I you did? Him. Okay. Oh, I did. No, I did. He actually did. Okay. Yeah, he, he, he went and he says, like, hey, Yale, Yale fam, my brother played there. Yeah. yeah. So I'm close to the coaches. And Did you get a comment off the record or on the record? I mean, I never said it was off the record. Oh, that's a good point. So I've what been did, saying, what did Mitch Henderson had kind of? Well, so would you tell him? Yeah, he, the rest of the weekend, don't stop at this table again. No, so I, no, I've been, <laughs> I did, but <laughs> uh, no, I've been, I've been very frustrated for a couple of weeks because Yale was the number one seed, but they had to play on the road in the championship game against Princeton because that was how it was predetermined, and it really sucked. And yep. It was completely unfair to Yale, and that's why Princeton got in. Good for them for taking advantage. But either way, I said, you know, I was like, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm still mad. So I'm a Yale fan. My brother played there. I'm very close to the coaches. Uh, but you guys had a great season. Very so good. Mad. And uh, and he said, well, we got to play at home without me even challenging it. He knew right away. So he knew. So two conferences in in uh, in D1 sort of number one seeds got screwed. Yeah. Because Utah Valley way. got screwed. It's true. Yeah, I still don't even understand how they did that one. I don't remember the, the the criteria, but they used instead Utah Valley finished first, Sam Houston second, and they ended up using, using net rankings. They used Ken Palms. They used the criteria that Ken Palm came up with, and they went with that. And so Sam Houston ended up getting seeded number one, and Utah Valley two, which it didn't matter in the end because they both lost. They both lost in the conference tournament. So. But I, I mean, I don't. I don't know if, if, if it would have made a difference if Utah because Utah. I think they got to the championship and lost anyway. But they should have been need, number one because they won the conference. Did Madsen say anything about it ever? I think Madsen was more worried about his interview with Cal. Cal. How do you think yeah. he's going to do it, Cal? 
it's a tough job, man. Mm -hmm. The resources aren't great. It's so crazy looking at Cal, what they were able to do uh, in the 90s because of what they were doing, right? Yeah. At, at a lot of places, that's what you have to. If you're going to play with the big boys, you're going to land Jason Kidd and Lamont Murray, then you got to do what everyone else is doing. There's no mystery to that. You know who nope. loves the ambiance in the area of Berkeley? Bill Walton. <laughs> oh, wow. Boy, you're, you're good. Conference you're good. champions. You're good. You're good. Uh, this part of the show is brought to you by Duluth Trading Company. Tell uncomfortable underwear. You talk to your underwear. Let's do it. Tell uncomfortable underwear to ride the bench and go buck naked. No pinch, no stink, no sweat. Buck naked performance underwear only from Duluth Trading. Wow, there was a random mention of Bill Walton. I think he's coming on the show next. 